0: We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. You'll be finding that in your Bible, the book of Revelation. Most of you, all of you, I think would know we've been studying, uh, teaching and preaching on subjects related to the coming of the Lord, particularly the the end times, the tribulation period, and the post-tribulation period, and that's where we are today. We're getting near the end of the book of Revelation. We're going to look in Revelation chapter 20 to what I believe is one of the most sobering uh, passages in the Bible. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. If you found that, if you have your Bible open there, if you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. John says in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne. For those who may not know, may not remember, John, one of the Lord's apostles, uh, John who gave us the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those epistles also gave us the book of Revelation. And John was exiled on an an island called Patmos as a form of persecution. And this would have been in the latter part of the first century. This was after Jesus died and rose again, of course. And there the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. On the first day of the week, he was in the Spirit. And God gave him this revelation of things to come. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. And... So in verse 11, John says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they, all of them, were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it together. We pray. For the help that comes from you to understand the Bible, to rightly apply, rightly divide the word of truth. God, I pray that you'd give us hearts to hear about this important doctrine. And Lord, I pray that we could look at it with ourselves in mind, but also with others in mind, and most importantly with you in mind. We trust you for these things, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we had a morning and evening messages that did not pertain to the second coming or last days. But uh, the, the Sunday before that, our message was on the thousand-year reign of Christ. If you're looking there in Revelation 20, uh, in verse 4 of Revelation 20 the last part of that verse that long verse it says they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years this is talking about saved people those who are belong to the Lord they'll a thousand years and a thousand years seems like forever to us I'm sure but a thousand years we're going to live and reign with Christ on this earth and verse 5 though the very next verse there in Revelation 20 says, But the rest of the dead, and that's who we're talking about today, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. So it'll be after the thousand years reign of Christ that um, what we're, this great white throne judgment will take place. The, inter, the last verse before our text, verse 10, reminds us that the devil was cast into the lake of fire and the false prophet, that's where the false prophet and um, the beast are, the devil, um, and, the, and all, all are cast into the lake of fire. And then we have this great white throne. So, so that just kind of gives you a time frame. When does this happen? It happens after the millennial reign, after the thousand-year reign of Christ. And John sees this. It's hard for us to even sometimes... Imagine to visualize what he saw, but he saw this, what he called a great white throne. You know, in the Bible, generally, not always maybe, but generally, white speaks of purity, white speaks of holiness and righteousness. Like the, the saints wear robes of white, and it says that, that that robe of white is the righteousness of the saints, it's purity. And so this is a pure judgment. And he sees one verse. Verse 12, 11 says, He sees one sitting on the throne, one that the heaven and earth is afraid of. You have to, you say, Why would they be afraid of God? You have to keep in mind that the world has just been experiencing the outpouring of the wrath of God for seven years, great tribulation upon the earth. And then uh, the judge comes, Jesus, and he reigns upon the earth for a thousand years. Years And they are fleeing from him. They're running from him. Hold your finger here in Revelation 20 and go just a few pages to the left to Revelation chapter 6. We have another uh, commentary about the fear of people as they look at the Lord. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15 it says, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men... And the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? You know, a lot of people had this view of God. I mention it periodically, like God, God, you don't have to fear God. You don't have to respect God. You know, God is whoever you want him to be. But I'm telling you, on this day, people are going to know who he really is. Not who they want him to be, but who he really is. And so He's at this time, in, back in Revelation 20 and verse 11, he is going to judge the unsaved people of all time. The great white throne. Jesus said this, I'm not going to turn to it, in John chapter 5. Jesus said that the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus is the one sitting on the throne, whom all the people of the earth are fearful of. He has committed all judgment to him. So, what does it tell us in verse 12? John says, And I saw the dead, small and great. Stand before God. Now who are the dead? In a a sentence, the dead is speaking of those who are lost. The Bible uses the word dead to speak of separation. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and God said that the moment you eat of this forbidden fruit, you're going to die. He didn't die physically, but he died spiritually. He was separated from God. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. When you die physically, you are separated from your spirit and your soul. If you're saved, the moment you die physically, your spirit and soul go to heaven. If you're lost, the moment you die physically, your spirit and soul go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Death is separation. It's not just the end of this life, it's separation. And so the dead here that are going to stand before God are those who are spiritually dead, separated from God. But their bodies, the bodies of the unsaved are going to be resurrected. Now just to kind of hit the pause button for a second. Don't go too fast. The bodies of all the saved people have already been resurrected. That's called the first resurrection. And if you look in... in uh, Verse 5 of that same passage, Revelation 20 and verse 5, it says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. That's who we're talking about today. But notice it says this, talking about the, those who were in the first resurrection, this is the first resurrection. Look in verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So the first resurrection were when, were when all saved people People who've been in heaven, their bodies are resurrected. And, and, and you're reunited with their spirit. And they're going to have, they're not the same kind of bodies. They're glorified bodies. They're bodies like Jesus had and, and in, after his resurrection. So, um, so, so the, this when it talks about the dead people in verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, we would call this the second resurrection. The resurrection of the bodies of every lost person. That the Bible said the rest of the dead, I read a moment ago, I read it twice actually in verse 5, that those, these are the people we're talking, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years. Now they're in hell, but they don't have their bodies. So it's going to say, look in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. So these bodies of lost people are going to be raised together. Even if they died, if their bodies are at the, if they died at sea, it doesn't matter. Wherever they were, it says in in death and hell, look in verse 13, death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. The, the, The word hell, they're talking about the grave. They're going to deliver up the dead that were in them. Every body, physical body of every lost person is going to be raised up together. And uh, you say, well, where are they now? If they're lost, they're, they're in hell. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus said this. This is not our opinion. This is what Jesus said about the rich man who died. He died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. The moment he died, instantly, his body stayed in the grave. His spirit went to hell and that's where he is to this day. Amen. That's where lost people are. They're, but one of these days, all their bodies are going to be resurrected, united with their lost souls, and they're going to stand before God. That's what the language of the Bible says. They, look in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. This is the second resurrection. No matter, Small and great. No matter what their status is in life no matter if they're wealthy, no matter if they're poor, no matter if they're unknown, no matter if they're famous, no matter who they are, they're going to stand before God. Every scoffer, every blasphemer, every religious hypocrite will one day stand before God. You say, preacher, do you believe that? With every fiber of my being, I believe it. You know why? Because God says it. They're going to stand before God. And what's going to happen? Look in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. We'll come back to that in a moment. But look in verse 12. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Those, that are, those people who are lost, those people who died lost, their bodies are gonna be resurrected, they're gonna stand before God, and God's gonna open up the books, and God's go, and they're gonna be judged according to the Bible, they're gonna be judged out of those things which were written in the books. And so, this, there's a record being kept. Yeah, there's a record being kept of the deeds of the unsaved. It's in the books. I hope you believe that. If you believe the Bible, you believe that. You know, by the way, God keeps good records, unlike some of us. God keeps good records. Sometimes my wife and I need to find something, and we know we've got it somewhere. It's in a file folder, it's in a cap, file cabinet, it's somewhere, give us enough time, we'll find it. Well, God keeps real good records. I'm glad he does. He keeps good records for, of saved people, of their acts of service of things they've done for the Lord in their life. God has all those things recorded. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's in the cloud or if it's on a hard disk or floppy disk, it doesn't if it's on a jump drive, it doesn't matter to me. He's got it all. He has good records. Right? And God never forgets any if you do if you do an act of service for the Lord in ministering to people, it never goes undetected. God keeps good records. Aren't you glad he does? But also, God also keeps records of sinners. Imagine this. Now most of us in this room are saved, which means we know our sins are forgiven. We know they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Aren't you glad about that today? But imagine being lost and having to stand before God who knows everything who knows every time we ever sat down, every time we ever stood up, every hair that ever fell from our head, every thought that we've ever imagined, God knows everything. Imagine standing before God and facing him for every sin you've ever committed, every act of rebellion, every time you disobeyed your parents or dishonored your parents, every thought you had that was prideful or lustful or envious or hateful, Every act of willful disobedience against God. Every lie you ever told. Every secret sin you ever committed. You stand before Almighty God and he's going to open up the books. I don't know if he's going to read every one of them. If he's just going to say here's the evidence. I don't, and we don't know that. We don't need to know that. But verse 13 says that Every lost person will be judged according. Last part of verse twelve, excuse me, according to their works, and also verse thirteen, according to their works. Everyone who ever said it or felt it, I'll not let. I'll not have this man to reign over me. Will stand before Jesus Christ and answer to him. Now, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of judging the works of lost people? Lost people are lost. Lost people don't have any hope. Lost people will be spent forever separated from God. Why judge them according to their works? I personally believe, and I'll show you some verses today, that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Hell is going to be horrific for everyone. But according to the words of Jesus himself, hell will be worse for some people than it is for other people. Let's let's go look at one example. Hold your finger here in Revelation 20 or mark that if you would please and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 And we'll take up reading in verse 20. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. While you're turning, let me just say something that, to encourage you. It's such a blessing to see people with open Bibles, turning the pages, looking at the Word of God. You know, it troubles me when people, no matter where you turn, no matter what you read, no, no matter how many times you say, look at this, they just keep looking at you. But, and here's the, here's the thing. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we want to look at what God says, right? You listen to my voice, but we, most important, we want to see these are not my opinions. These are God's opinions. So Matthew chapter 11 and verse 21 Says, woe unto thee. Jesus is speaking. Well, let's go back. Verse 20, I'm sorry. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 20. Then began he, talking about Jesus, to upbraid. That means to correct, to call out, to rebuke. He began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. He is specifically targeting Cities where he did a lot of mighty works, but they refused to repent. And he calls them out by name in verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. These are cities. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. These other cities were unbelievers also, but there's gonna be more severe judgment on these cities because they had the opportunity to hear, they saw him work, and they still refused to repent. Let's read a little further. Verse 23 And thou, Capernaum, seaport, sea village on the northern coast, Of the sea of Galilee. The place Jesus spent a lot of time. Capernaum. And thou Capernaum. Which are exalted unto heaven. Shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works. Which have been done in thee. Had been done in Sodom. It would have remained. Until this day. But I say unto you. That it shall be more tolerable. For the land of Sodom. In the day of judgment, than for thee. Now, I understand that very simply the way I read it. And that is this He said to the city of Capernaum, He said about them, if you would have, if you, if what I did in your side, if what I did in your villages had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament in the days of Abraham and Lot, if if they would have seen that, they would have repented. And when you stand before me, the judgment on you is going to be more severe than it will be on Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities, vile cities, depraved cities that were destroyed by God's wrath, by fire falling from heaven... Those people, those lost people in Sodom and Gomorrah will be at this great white throne. But Jesus said to the citizens of Capernaum, your judgment is going to be more severe than their judgment was. Now, I don't know how you get anything else out of that than what we see. So what does that mean? There'll be, be, I'll, I'll use it for a proof text, an example of how there will be degrees of punishment in hell. And who, according to what we've said so far, who will be judged the more severely? It's who they'll be. The people who heard and rejected. The people who saw multiplied evidence of God's work and yet they refused to accept. They're going to receive the greater judgment. It will be more tolerable for Sodomites... For Sodom and Gomorrah, it'll be more tolerable for Sodomites than people who heard the gospel and rejected it. I think we ought to take that into consideration when we're listening to the Bible. When we're deciding on whether we're going to obey the Bible or not obey the Bible. The people who heard it and rejected it are going to face a more severe judgment than those who did not have those opportunities. Jesus said this in Matthew 23 to another group. Listen to this. I'm going to read it to you. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. These are religious people, respected religious leaders. He says to them, you shall receive the greater damnation. It won't be just the gambling crowd. It won't be just these uh, these other, we say all oh, the adulterers, the wicked people. It won't be just them. It'll be people who were religious people and led people to believe a lie who were hypocrites, who were, who were two-faced. Those are the people, according to the words of Jesus, that are going to receive the greater damnation in their life. Re- they rejected the lie. They turned away from Jesus Christ. And Jesus said it's going to be more severe for them. So why, back to the original question, why, when lost people stand before God, are they going to read the books? Because those books are going to determine the severity of the judgment that they're going to spend an eternity experiencing. People who mock, people who make fun, people who disregard God's warning, people who stiffen their neck in stubbornness and rebellion and reject Jesus Christ, they're going to have the greatest judgment. You know, they think they're going to get by with it. They're going to all stand before God one day and they're going to answer to God. This is very serious stuff, isn't it? I think it's very serious. All the dead, no matter where They're cremated, bottom of the sea, wherever they died, wherever their remains are. You say, man, how are they going to pull all that together? If if you don't understand that God can do that, then your view of God needs some work. Because God can do anything. And I'm going to go on and say some other things about the text. But if you're here today, and you've heard the gospel... And you don't turn to Christ. Really, turn from your sin and turn to Christ. You ought to be thinking about what we're reading about because if nothing changes in your life, that's where you're going to be. And it won't be easier on you because you sat in church and was raised in a Christian family. It won't be easier on you. It'll be worse because you've not taken seriously the opportunity to hear the Word of God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It also says in verse 12, it says that uh, I saw the dead. John says, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. It says in the last part of verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is the book of life? Do we have the books Every time I read it, I'm thinking, you can't cook the books, right? I mean, God keeps the records. But there's another book that's there. It's the book of life. The book of life is the record of all people who are saved. It's the record. The book of life is the record of every person who accepted God's plan of salvation in his son jesus christ and receive forgiveness and redemption their name is written in the book of life i think it's interesting that the book of life is there i don't know why it was there because none of these people we're talking about are in the book of life but it could be that the presence of that book in life book of life will be like a woeful reminder that the lost are there not because they did bad things The lost are there because they rejected Jesus Christ and his free gift of everlasting life. So what's going to happen to these people? Verse 14 says, if you look there please, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. All the unsaved after being judged will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says in verse 14 this is the second death. In my Bible, I can look right across the page to Revelation 21 and verse 8. Would you join me there for a moment and just read this quickly? Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I think it's interesting. I, we're going to be on this passage in this text where I just read tonight on our message. But I think it's interesting that he said all liars. I mean, there's some things in there that you could say, I've never murdered anybody. Right? But there's not a person that's ever lived that can say, I've never told a lie. They don't, all liars. You say, well, I didn't, I never, I wasn't a whoremonger, I wasn't a sorcerer, I didn't get into witchcraft, I didn't bow down before idols. All liars. Everyone who's ever told a lie and has not been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ will will be there. It says, Have their part in the lake of fire. So that where are these lost people gonna be? Where are they gonna be condemned to? Verse 14. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. Verse 15, they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. They've already died once physically, but this is the second death. When they'll be died, they died once physically, they'll be resurrected to stand before the Lord. They will hear the accusations against them, the, the record of their sins, and then they're going to be cast into the, sec- into the lake of fire. That's the second death. And everyone not found in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire. You say, Preacher, what do you think the lake of fire is? Let me just take a moment and explain it it's a lake of fire. It's a a literal fire. It's a literal lake of fire. And it's everlasting fire. Not just a momentary fire. It's everlasting. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said this several times about that fire. He says it'll never be quenched. Never. Never. Not after a thousand years, not after 10,000 years, not after a million years, not after 10 million years. You say, Preacher, surely you don't believe that. I have to believe it, Jesus said it. It's in the Bible. Isn't it a horrible thing for a person to have this false belief system that once a person dies, it's the end? Isn't it sad, isn't it horrible? Do you know that lots of people believe that? And a lot of people who may not believe it live and act like they believe it. That's not the end. Every soul, think about yourself today, whoever you are, every soul is going to live forever somewhere. My body, if Jesus doesn't come back soon or disease doesn't take my body or my wife doesn't knock me over the head or something, my body, may, if my, my body may give out, but I'm going to live forever somewhere. I don't, you may have never had this happen to you, but it's happened to me more than once. When I'm witnessing to somebody or giving them a gospel track and encouraging them to turn to Christ and tell them the consequences if you don't get saved, that you're going to go to hell, and they say, well, that's where all my friends are going to be. We'll have a big party. I'm going to tell you, hell's not going to be a big party. It's not even going to be a little party. It's not going to be a party at all. By the way, the lake of fire was not made for men. I read, you know who it was made for? I read it a moment ago. Jesus said it was made for the devil and his angels. The devil, Lucifer, rebelled against God, refused to obey God, refused to. To do what God had created him to do. He rebelled against God. He, he became the devil. He became the great serpent. He came, he's Lucifer, Satan, and he enticed other angels to follow him in his rebellion. The, the lake of fire is intended for them, it was made for them. But every person. Who does not receive Jesus Christ is going to go there with him. Imagine the company you're going to be with in hell. It'd be a horrible place. But God didn't make the lake of fire listen, God didn't make the lake of fire for sinners like you and I he sent his son to the cross to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our sins that we could be forgiven and spend forever in heaven with him. But when people reject that there's only one Alternative. They're going to go to the lake of fire, a place of eternal sorrow, a place of intense torment. There'll be no escape. There'll be no reprieve. There'll be no relief. It is a damnable doctrine for religious groups to say that when you die, you can go to purgatory. And you can be living in purgatory and you'll have some suffering there. But after a period of suffering, your sins can be atoned for and you can come out of purgatory and go to heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nobody that goes to the lake of fire ever gets out. How ridiculous is that? Find me a verse of scripture that teaches that. I would not want the blood on my hands of religious followers who have some hope that I can die a sinner, but somebody's going to pay enough money to get me out of hell. It's not going to happen. The Bible doesn't teach anything remotely like that. Everyone, every single person not found in the book of life will be cast into hell. I ask you a very simple question today Is your name in the book of life? You say, well, I don't know if it is or not. When you plan on finding out? If you say, well, I'm just going to wait till I die and then I'll find out. How foolish is that? How ridiculous is that? Have you repented to God? Have you truly repented to God for your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Put your faith in Him as your Savior. If not, you're not in the, your name's not in the book of life. If you reject Christ, your name will not be in the book of life. And if you're not saved, you can be saved today. You ought to be saved today. You ought to come to Christ today. You say, preacher, do you really believe there could be people sitting here today that if at this moment Jesus came for us and took us out of this world, that they would be left here and be lost and one day stand before The great white throne and stand before God as a lost sinner. Do you believe that's possible? I have to believe it's possible. I don't know people's hearts. I don't know anybody's heart. The Bible even says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Sometimes I'm not sure about myself as far as whether my heart's right or wrong. You know what I'm saying? You just can't. You can deceive yourself. But when I I see no spiritual interest in people, no spiritual desire in people no desire to serve God, no desire to follow God, not just for a day or two or a month or two or a year or two, but for decades, I have to seriously wonder, has that person really been saved? You know what Jesus said about his disciples? They they obey his commandments. They follow his commandments. You say, well, I'm not really into commandments. Well, you've got an issue. Because Jesus said, the people that love me obey my commandments. They follow me. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we have a heart. What is it to be saved? You're born again. You become a new creature. Does that happen to you? Young person, have you been born again? Has something so real happened in you that the Bible would describe it as a new birth? Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Has that happened to you? If it hadn't happened to you, you ought to question yourself, am I really saved? You say, why are you so serious about this? Because I believe it's a serious matter. I believe this is one of the most sober doctrines of the Bible. You know what? Who would, none of us would want to see anybody, but especially somebody we love, stand in that place at the great white throne where the books are opened and see them cast into a lake fire. So if you're not saved today my prayer is that God would give you a troubling in your heart about that, a conviction that you'd want to make sure. you know what, in just a moment we'll have, as we always do, we have a time of reflection a time of commitment, a time of invitation and I'm going to be standing right here and if you're here as an adult or a young person and you're thinking, man, I'm not sure you ought to come up here and let me talk to you and pray with you have somebody explain to you how you can have that peace and assurance in your heart. And then I want to say this and we're done. I'm not going to ask people to raise their hand, but my my belief is that most people in this room who are saved basically believe what I've preached today. So the question then is, what are we doing to keep people from going there? What are are we doing as Christians, as disciples to warn people? To try to persuade them to turn to Christ. You know, look here in chapter 21. And verse four, just, just a thought. Chapter twenty-one, verse four. After, this is after the great white throne, and God shall wipe away. Talking about this is believers with God in heaven, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Why would people? Why would people be crying in heaven? Think about that. Why would people be crying in heaven? And I'm not saying I know this for a fact. I'm just, I'm just saying this could very well be true. Maybe it's because people in heaven see people cast into the lake of fire. Amen. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see what John saw. I wouldn't want to see people cast into a lake of fire. but it might do us all good to see a glimpse of that. It might shake us up and break us out of our, whatever we're in, timidity, fear, laziness, and say, so, you know, I'd be even more serious about this subject. So I see for all of us two basic lessons. Number one, if you're not saved, you need to be saved. And if you are saved, we need to take serious our responsibility through personal evangelism, witnessing, supporting missions to do everything we can to get the gospel out to people. Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Just a moment. I'm gonna pray. I would like to think that if you've listened seriously to the message today, carefully, that one of two things I just mentioned would apply to you. If you're not saved, you ought to be troubled about that and come talk to somebody about it. If you are saved, maybe it'd be a good day to get on our knees, maybe at this altar or there at our seat or somewhere and say, God, help me to live like this is really something that I believe. Our fathers, we pray today, we thank you for your word. How we've thanked you so many times in recent months for the truths that we find in the book of Revelation, things that are in the future, things that we would not have any clue about if you didn't tell us. And Father, thank you for this graphic description of what will take place at the great white throne judgment. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for each of us. Lord, that you would help us as your people to take this matter seriously. And then I pray for those who are here that are not saved, that they might take it seriously as well.